welcome back to another installment of A New Normal, Startwell's content series focusing on voices from entrepreneurial and innovative minds uh, working through the pandemic. Uh, today, I'm joined remotely uh, and in studio, I guess I'm in studio and everyone else is remote, uh, you know, from our uplink here in Startwell uh, on King Street West by Yenza 3. You'll see three faces other than mine on camera. And uh, they are Martin Byrne, Shweta Mahan, and Anuj Rastogi, uh, the three merry bandits that comprise the Yenza. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be joined by you guys. You know, essentially, I won't go into it too much. I'll let you explain kind of what Yenza 3 does in a second. But uh, from what I understand, it's primarily a knowledge that your, or knowledge that your company has focused on. You help companies um, with knowledge transfer, education, uh, and, and learning. And uh, I think uh, you could do us a little bit more justice to explain what Yenza 3 does. And then we can talk a little bit about uh, how this current context has um, maybe reframed things or accelerated things for you. Sure. Uh, so I'm Anuj Sogi, one of the three co-founders of Yenza 3. And we are a firm focused on the areas of learning business enablement and learning and knowledge strategy uh, as it relates to operations, business, technology. And we have definitely found that COVID has, uh, I don't know if it's changed everything as much as it's accelerated it, you know, five or tenfold, really. Uh, Martin Shweta. After you, Shweta. Hi, I'm Shweta. I'm the uh, one of the other co-founders of Yenza3. Um, my background is primarily in learning and development space. I started my career in this space in uh, early 2000s when everybody in the industry was trying to move towards digital learning, so to speak. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's my background and my area of expertise. Hi, I'm Martin. Uh, I am three in the ends of three. <laughs> and um, my role here is uh, I've been in the digital space, uh, building websites, running websites, running web businesses for about 25 years now. And so I focus on the, the technology and digital ecosystems behind uh, learning and knowledge management for our clients. So let's talk a little bit about going into uh, this period, so February into March, uh, and tell me a little bit about the landscape for your clients, the, the work that you were doing for your clients and how globally dispersed there may have been. And then uh, maybe through that lens, we can, we can take a look at what you've learned from the client experience. Yeah, so we, we do have a, a, you know, a, a somewhat global client base. We've got clients in Canada and the US and Australia. And uh, by the time COVID's effects really hit and you started to see things shut down, what we've seen with many organizations is uh, some had been slightly better prepared than others. Some really weren't prepared at all. And while we've seen, I think, the writing on the wall in terms of the need to be able to scale up to be more virtual, more remote, empower your people and infrastructure with technology that will allow them to collaborate remotely, a lot of organizations had really put that type of thinking on the back burner for a long time. It was a thing to get to where other more pressing priorities seem to have taken hold. And the organizations that weren't as ready are, are really feeling it now because 
there's been impacts in productivity. There's been a lot of challenges in trying to keep people engaged, collaborating. And uh, I think that the, the tech industry has done a decent job of being able to step up to meet some of those gaps. I mean, many people are already familiar with Teams and Zoom and whatnot to begin with. Uh, they may not have been as well versed in it, but they've been able to scale up and adopt some of those things quickly. But where we're seeing struggles with organizations is that they haven't got the cultural makeup and the process makeup to be able to really get people working together in this new way, even though the technology exists. And a big part of that is just they hadn't thought far enough ahead about how do we really treat our knowledge with the level of uh, sophistication and value that we treat our other assets. Do you guys, anyone else from the team have anything to add to, uh, to that idea of kind of preparedness for the embrace uh, of digital in, in, in your landscape and what you guys focus on? Yeah, I mean, the, the oh, go ahead, Shvata. No, no, go ahead, Martin. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm working across a, a few different clients right now in a few different categories. And uh, what's interesting is um, the, the spotlight has been put on actual readiness uh, versus, you know, the conversations of readiness that a lot of organizations have had over the last years. And the conversation of remote work uh, obviously has transformed dramatically. And what it's really brought to the surface is how poorly prepared a lot of organizations were to change anything that their people do, whether it's work from home, do different processes, uh, collaborate in different ways, be shifted to different teams, um, refocus, uh, you know, shift from being an operations person to marketing support, things like that. Like the conversation, the bigger conversation of agility readiness has really uh, hit home and, you know, a lot of organizations. And what, what's interesting is we now see this in the last few weeks, we've seen this really big divide. Organizations that have confidently declared, oh yeah, we're going to work from home forever, or we're going to work from home for the next year, or 80% of our people will be working in blended office at home scenarios for the next two years. And companies who are can't, they just can't, they're not there. They don't have the hardware. They don't have the culture. They don't have the, the leadership ecosystem. They're just not ready. And so, you know, I think what is going to be really interesting is what we see next in that and what that, that rift looks like 12, 18 months out where those companies who were confident and capable of changing their pivoting, how they operate do and those who can't don't. Let's pause there for a second and uh, take a, or add some color if you can to the profile of your customer base. So in terms of, um, global dispersion of their own teams uh, in terms of the uh, size of, uh, you know, staff uh, and so on. Any other kind of like, you know, call it like, let's do a little cohort analysis of Yenza's customer base, just so that we know uh, who we're talking about in terms of their uh, ability to be agile uh, and what their, the hindrances to those things might have been. So uh, on, on that front, we have, uh, we have some Canadian clients who, are, uh, who have offices and operations across the country. So they tend to be clustered in, in large uh, office uh, locations with some degree of remote work, right? So there's been some level of comfort there. Uh, we've done a, a tremendous amount of work with uh, Los Angeles World Airports as well, um, who operate LAX and uh, the Van Nuys Airport. In that particular example, 
almost everybody is located there on site or, uh, you know, on campus, if you will, uh, at the airport. Uh, and in that particular case, because there's such a dependency on actually being on the premises, there's, you know, obviously an interesting impact when a number of people have to be working virtually. Uh, we've worked with associations that have large office presences, um, you know, across the province, as well as associations that are almost entirely virtual scattered across the globe with key leadership teams in, uh, in Europe, in the US, in Canada. And depending on what their specific pedigree may be in terms of how they've worked and evolved together, this specific point in time is um, more or significantly more disruptive. So that's what we've really found to be a, a change. There's no real one size fits all and every organization seems to have its own uh, quirks and, and, and rationale, but we've definitely seen a gamut of different scenarios. And I'll say, I mean, building on to um, I know your point, I would say, in my opinion, there are typically three categories of organizations in the industry overall that we, we, we can look at from specifically from digital knowledge, digital learning ecosystem perspective. There are organizations in the market who were already heavily investing in the whole digital learning ecosystem to enable their employees. With COVID happening, things for them look very different because they were, it was easy for them to adapt into this whole new space where the workforce is remote and they can support the workforce appropriately because they had the underlying infrastructure. And on the other hand, there were organizations that had a learning uh, and knowledge ecosystem, but that ecosystem was not very technologically enabled ecosystem. So they are now struggling to kind of figure out how to best deliver and connect knowledge and learning experiences for their employees. And yet there was this third category who did not even have a formalized learning or knowledge ecosystem in place. And um, in my opinion, the first, uh, the, the, the two categories where they either don't have an infrastructure or an ecosystem in place and organizations that have somewhat uh, non-technology enabled learning ecosystem are actually in a, in a, I mean, if they get the buy-in and the back-in, they are in a good place to not just catch up with the industry leaders, but even leapfrog and think about doing things differently and building on and learning from these more mature organizations to say, hey, let's test out the role of data. Let's test out how learning and knowledge can seamlessly integrate together to support their employee base in real-time work environment rather than, again, thinking about learning as a piece of artifact that has to be created and shelved in a, uh, in a virtual bookcase called a learning management system somewhere. So I think Martin kind of like touched on a point which was a kind of um, possibility for this context to drive um, a new uh, want for cultural evolution that maybe is adoptive of learning to learn. Uh, you know, and driving organizations to wake up to say, we need to be agile, we need to grow, and that's going to take uh, a little bit of a mental shift. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, the desk is an archaeological artifact. Like, we cling to desk, but, you know, Western 20th century business culture clings to the desk left over from the, the 1900s, right? Like, we don't, and, and, it's, it's been the sacred cow. It's the, you know, 900 pound desk in the room. Uh, no one has wanted to kind of uh, 
there's discussion. Some organizations kind of dabble with like, yeah, let's try some work from home, you know, just like the paperless office. Um, but now they're actually being forced into a decision space, right? And and when it's being truly challenged, like as they look at individuals and go, why do you need to be in a room in a tower in downtown Calgary or downtown Vancouver or downtown Toronto? There's there's not a good answer, like and especially given the, the cost of maintaining that room. So now that well, Calgary, on, sorry to interrupt you, but Calgary doesn't count in that example because. The answer to the question is that it's free. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, it's actually, people from the rest of the country should just start living in uh, Vancouver office spaces or in Calgary office spaces. But yeah, I mean, like that. So I think that quite, now that organizations are, are pushing through and, and past that kind of the mindset, the you know, desks and offices set, as they look at it, the, the question is, well, why do we need to go back? And I think that question is really being raised. But to Shreda's point, if you can't support those people, and there's two aspects to it. I mean, there's the cultural support for it, uh, and that includes the knowledge support, the leadership support, the education support. And then there's the actual uh, operational support, right, which is also, and they're tied at the hip. Because if you don't have the cultural and leadership and, and knowledge uh, management support, um, even if you try to change operations to enable people to do that stuff, you can't. Right, because the problem is, you know, a lot of organizations are shackled by legacy processes and operations that are weirdly enough bound to physical spaces still in the 21st century. Like people know that, oh, if you want to submit your benefits, you got to take this form down and you got to print it, sign it, but then take it down to this office or drop this thing off over, or you got to go and see Jane on the third floor. Who will then fax it for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know some people are in the teaching space and, you know, it's really surfaced some super archaic systems because they have, you know, as all these education systems switch to emergency learning and that's just one layer of the public sector and, and I'm sure across the public sector, you've got even worse legacy systems. So you gotta, you know, you, as an organization might start addressing this stuff, they, they do have to address both these kind of pillars at the same time, the yin and yang of the people side and then the mechanics side yeah. to, uh, if they want to really address this change. I, I want to tie both those things together because, I mean, there's the technology side that Shweta has spoken of in terms of the level of sophistication and foresight there. Then there's the cultural evolution around, you know, being tied to the 900-pound gorilla of a desk uh, uh, motif where this really has manifested uh, I think in COVID is as people have been furloughed and as people have been laid off either on a temporary or permanent basis and, and, and just uh, workforces are scaling back. What it's really exposed is these massive knowledge gaps that exist in the organization, because now you let go of uh, for cost reasons or any number of reasons you let go of, uh, 10 or 15 people in a small company or 10 or 15% or 30% of your workforce. And you did that in very short order without realizing what those people actually do in completeness, um, what they know, who they work with and all of those pieces. So what happens now is uh, let's just take uh, Bob who's been at, a, at the company for five years. No one really understood what he did. They just let him go because they need to cut costs. And it turns out Bob was the only one that knew 
uh, what cron jobs uh, were scheduled on that particular system, how to actually service that particular network. And he's the only one that actually had access to the uh, vendors uh, tech team on a regular basis. So now you're trying to backfill the things that Bob was actually solving for without realizing what Bob actually did. Now that's you have to in the middle of a pandemic, try and pick up that knowledge, rebuild those connections, document all of that. So there hasn't been a, a clear concerted effort over the long run to think about uh, how do we actually treat the knowledge that our people have with due regard. So we know who is actually bringing value and that we can find a way to, uh, in an agile manner, be able to actually sustain ourselves if someone leaves because of a pandemic, they win the lottery, they get hit by the bus, whatever the reason might be. And so uh, COVID has really exposed that in a big way now because you've got organizations that, yes, have cut costs, but might have increased inefficiency and frustration because they just don't know who used to do that thing. Yeah, no, it is interesting to, to think of the kind of knowledge basing um, of of really of, of, a, of a team and, uh, and how typically that's uh, a lot of that knowledge does not get recorded. Uh, and the nature of it being shared is very ad hoc conversational and spur of the moment as well. So, um, you know, the kind of like cultural uh, exchange that happens when people come together to do a concerted, uh, you know, project and, and work together. Um, I'm seeing it on campus here at Startwell where we do have people still coming into work and you'll have like one or two people coming in for meetings from a team of 10 uh, and with the eight people being remote and this is something that we're actually um, quite adept at now i've been playing with it with uh, with audio stuff and now we're doing more video on campus and we have more hardware installed in the meeting rooms um, to allow people to video conference from here but the hybrid meeting um, or hybrid experiences virtual and physical uh, you know, will become more commonplace, uh, and I'm I'm doing them just like this, uh, you know, today every day really here on campus. But what I'm seeing when those couple people are in a meeting room together, and they've got the eight people dialing in either one by one or as it suits their schedule because the kids, uh, the kids, the kids. Um, you know, the effect is that the, I'm watching in physical space and meet space these two people in this room, and they're vibing even more than they might have with the eight other people being in the room. Like they're really appreciating subconsciously the proximity uh, and how they share is a lot through body language, right? And, and the little like they'll take a break to go get a coffee across the road. Um, the other people dialing in don't have that experience. Mm -hmm. um, so there's just so much to people working together in person that doesn't get captured uh, in, these, in these kind of virtual settings. Yeah. And that's exactly what COVID has taken from us as each other, right? Like we are, we, we didn't, biologically, we did not evolve for this type of isolation, right? We, we need to work in groups with each other. And, uh, I, you know, I, as much of a blessing as the technology is that we have, and I think you can approximate it to a certain degree, but I think we do miss that. And where I think the genius of organizations and teams actually happens is often in those informal moments, right? Like going to grab a coffee, people stepping out, like, you know, to take a walk or, you know, just kind of just, just chatting in between things. And then all of a sudden, because our brains just connect things laterally in all sorts of obscure ways, you know, one thing leads to the next and an idea or a business requirement or uh, an inspiration just kind of hits. And that's, 
that's difficult to approximate with these types of setups. I think we're getting much better at it and we have to really make a concerted effort to do it, but that's been a challenge for, for organizations, no question. Well, it's crazy because you think of this like point of failure question, like as people communicate in any uh, format, physical or virtual, there's always going to be ways that communication breaks down. And if you look at the means of communicating as being complicated with the medium through which you communicate, um, when you're in front of someone, you're, you're maybe outside of, you know, your uh, mental process being clouded and, you know, lack of caffeination or whatever is inhibiting your means of articulation. Um, that's pretty much all you have to worry about if you're face to face with someone uh, with, you know, variable bit rates and, uh, you know, bandwidth cutting in and out and throttling on the networks and, you know, internet connections being a point of failure. Uh, network hardware being a point of failure, cameras being, audio being, uh, everything being a point of failure. Um, yes, you know, like the, I agree with Martin's point about the desk being the 800 pound or 1200 pound or whatever weight uh, gorilla in the room. Um, but yeah, I think we've come back together in this discussion of like proximity being very important to the nature of work. And I think possibly, at least from our angle, what we're seeing is uh, a more a greater willingness as people return to work and as they will continue through the summer uh, and fall, a greater willingness to think of workspace as something that's flexible to allow that agility with which they've started learning about, um, you know, through this process to be part of their daily routine, whether they're virtual or not. Yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, the other day I heard someone, um, Kind of talked to it because we were talking about um, we we're having a conversation about uh, virtual desktop infrastructures, and uh, what was really interesting was uh, he also kind of proved that you know maybe the the future is more of a visitation based ecosystem that we don't have you know this hoteling model we have this you know day visit model where um, the new office is is more like a large coffee shop. Uh, or like, like, like Startwell. It's, it's a place where you're going to meet up with people for a few hours, right? But you don't need to live there. You don't need to be shackled to nine to five because it's not effective. So you'll do the human part for maybe one or two days a week. You'll pop in, you'll group up, you'll, you'll, you'll vibe, you'll, you'll spitball some ideas, you'll do the whiteboard stuff that just doesn't work on, on Zoom. Um, and then you'll break and you'll go to your corners and you'll do your thing for a day or two. And then you'll regroup in a comfortable, smaller, intimate space. And then you'll break again. Um, that, you know, that, um, and it, it, it seems that I'm kind of getting, you know, whims of, from people of like, that's what they'd also like to do. Mm. That they, they don't want to have this kind of house arrest model of employment where they show up for, you know, nine to five, five days a week regardless of whether it contributes to the productivity or not, just because that's this legacy, you know, post-industrial model exploitation. Whereas this model, it's like, I'll meet with you guys for three hours. We'll have great three hours. Then I'm going to go and just, you know, be in my head and work on my stuff. And then I'm going to be outcomes based as opposed to punch card based. Yeah. I, I actually love the way you, you said that Martin, because if you think about what we would even want in our lives, imagine, people being able to figure out when they're going to get in for meetings and collaborate and not packing roads and subways and trains at the same exact times for the same rush hour 
Like it's one of those, it's a, it's a small change in a way that can have such big sweeping consequences in terms of how individuals manage their time, but even just how cities and, and communities kind of function overall too, right? We can kind of spread the load and it just makes for a better, more productive day as long as we all kind of get on side with it. Yeah, and I agree with uh, you both because I, in my opinion, I feel like the trend is going to be more around giving people the choice to make their own decisions based on what works for them. I mean, we don't have to have that either or conversation anymore. Like for the longest time it was, no, you have to be in the office so that I can look at what you're doing and monitor what you're doing or swinging the pendulum to the other end saying, now you, you go work from home and you don't need an office space. But there has to be a more balanced approach where we can, you know, the organizations can personalize the experience or let people personalize their own experience in terms of how, what, when, and where they want to work. Right. I think, I think on that note, you're, we see this, uh, the ivory tower complex that so many organizations have just had for, you know, 150 years that we need to have these grand head offices in these really important cities that are a statement to the world on, on how, how, how great we are and how big we are and whatnot. And to a degree, that's also an, a, a recruitment and a, a attractive offering to a lot of people who are interested in working in that type of an environment because of what it stands for. But increasingly, as companies see the, the, the drawbacks of having tens of thousands of your people in one location, uh, I think we're going to see a number of companies kind of scale back the amount of real estate that they hold or that they lease in some of these big cities. They're going to use it for flagship reasons, whether it's their, uh, you know, their, for their biggest client meetings or for really important workshops or that sort of thing. You're going to see it, but they're probably going to start to divest from some of those types of holdings or leases and move to more clustered uh, multi-site type or, uh, uh, arrangements where you might have smaller satellite offices in cities where the rents or leases are not quite as high and it's easier for people in that region to commute and you might even have more cross-functional teams there because right now we see a lot of organizations the call center is here it is over there sales and marketing operates out of this and so if any one of those offices is affected an entire sort of line of business is potentially impacted where you actually could have an opportunity to cluster people that are multi-skilled in, in, in different ways in smaller sites and then create more of that type of environment that's accessible that you're talking about at Startwell. Um, so it, it's, it, in, in many ways, this is an exciting time because there's going to be a lot of different trial and error type approaches here and we're going to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, because yeah. you know, for the longest time, um, and, I, and I think those of us in the digital culture are not as hung up on this, but it is still out there that there is, I mean, there's two things that still really glue organizations to office. One, there's space as a status symbol. And, there, and there's still organizational cultures out there where, you know, they have the, the mahogany row uh, offices and the executive corner offices and those models. So there's, there's that legacy of, of, you know, office as a status symbol, which I think our generation has, has started to give, like, not care about. But that's out there. And then secondly, the, the comfort factor, to your point, Anuj, the, the weird desire that it is, or belief that it is easier to manage a huge group of people if they're all in the same campus or in the same physical district or in the same tower. And the truth is that, you know, most people's management domains, even a fairly large manager, 
they only directly humanly interact with actually a fairly small number of people and even, you know, the most overstacked command and control structures, right? So, you know, when we can get mainstream organizations over those two humps, yeah, I think you're right. Then you're going to see all sorts of conversation popping up like, well, you know, let's experiment. Let's try some, you know, pilots of, of different organizational models of different spaces of different ways that teams can interact with each other. Yeah, and perhaps it also flattens the cultural dynamic to a degree too, because uh, if you're used to going to upper floors to talk to upper management, and if those floors are fancier and the corridors are longer and the boardroom tables are shinier, uh, and there's power suits and there's all of that sort of dynamic, it can be intimidating to kind of operate within that hierarchy. But the moment people are working in a more distributed virtual setting, like if you just look at us, we have you know, four completely different backgrounds in terms of the what's behind us, whether it's virtual or, or real. But in that, there's something almost more human, like it's bringing people, um, you know, to a, a, a more level playing field in some ways. Like we've had uh, meetings and, and, and interviews and conversations with CEOs and with, you know, uh, first level managers. And if you look at the backdrop in their room, for the most part, they're, you know, they're, they're something that you can identify with. And so it, perhaps just in that, there's a way that we can start to flatten some of this cultural um, noise that we see in these, you know, these old ways of thinking in organizations too. Those are other, it's just a, another opportunity to get people more comfortable with work. And I think when people are comfortable, then they're comfortable sharing and then knowledge starts to flow um, just by exchange. And then you can start to enable it and empower it with technology and all of these other mechanisms. But if people just really don't feel comfortable uh, being themselves, sharing, asking a question, raising a hand and saying, how do I do this? If they don't feel doing, comfortable doing any of those things, all the technology in the world is not going to solve that problem. So have some of these learnings uh, that we've discussed in this conversation um, and anything else that you've been kind of collectively ruminating on in the last few weeks uh, affected the practice with which, uh, you know, Yenza 3 is out there in the world uh, working on client projects with? Well, Shweta's actually, uh, she's actually set up a number of really interesting meetings with, uh, you know, potential, uh, uh, potential partners and, and, and clients and whatnot along the way. And I think that, I don't know, you've, you've, you've done a really good job, I think, of being able to actually make space for us for those conversations. Yeah, and I would say that the conversation varies, depends on who you're talking to. Like if you're talking to, we had conversations with people in academic space, for example, higher ed space. And the conversation there more is that, oh, we don't know what to do next, or we want to digitally transform our product offering. But they're thinking about digitizing their product offering the way corporates used to think 20 years ago. So they have to play catch up because most of their offering was more in person face to face and if you t speak to corporate uh, um, uh, people the conversation there at least from what we've heard um, in 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 our circle is more around we've been there done that we've done e-learning and we know it doesn't work how can we kind of shift and make it more effective so the conversation is more around how can we leverage newer technologies data to kind of create more personalized ecosystem to serve the needs of our corporate employees, so to speak, and not bring them into, let's say, a training room or a learning environment, but 
help them with the learning environment in their work context itself. So the, the boundaries between learning and work are becoming even more thinner. So this conversation around bringing learning into the flow of work started happening two decades ago, but we didn't have the right technology infrastructure or even mindset for people to define or expand the sandbox of learning beyond a box. But now the conversation have, I mean, we can have those exploratory conversations mm. with people now. COVID has created an environment for people to explore those kind of conversations in a more meaningful way. Yeah, I, I, would, I would just add to that, that one thing COVID has done is it's this undeniable fact of life, right? If before when someone would come in and talk to you about the virtualization of work, or, you know, using technology to create new experiences around work or learning or knowledge. That seemed like an ethereal, theoretical, far off in the future type thing to really think about. And it didn't seem, for some people, it almost didn't even feel necessary or practical right now. With COVID in the mix and everybody sitting at home uh, for the last several weeks, this is undeniable at this point now. And as a result, I think that for the people who have already considered the future, uh, they're in a better position to be able to say, like, we, although we didn't know this was coming, what we've been saying all along is what still needs to happen, right? It's just accelerated the need. And for the people that have been, uh, you know, sort of head in the sand, if you will, for a number of years, you, you can't afford to keep that head in the sand anymore, right? Because uh, the reality is now here and companies are either uh, struggling to even stay solvent. They're struggling to keep their workforce. They're struggling to keep customers. They don't have a good game plan to open back up. And even once they open back up, if they've shed 30% of their workforce, they don't really know how to do that, right? So um, this has forced that conversation. As a result, we're finding people are even more receptive to hear uh, and express you know, some of these concepts when we're talking to them. You know, as I said, never waste a good crisis. Yeah, I've heard that one quite a bit in the last few weeks. Um, the, no, it's, it's absolutely true and poignant to reflect on um, the time out that people have had away from the office, forced or otherwise, to rethink uh, how they engage their staff and colleagues on a daily basis. And I think the, uh, you're right, like we've spent a good amount of this conversation even considering technology, but... Um, and of course we're using it right now, the one that the platform that everyone's using, which is Zoom uh, to communicate. But I think in coming weeks and months, people will get past the kind of means of communication to look at now uh, digitally, how do we do our business? If we're not a bricks and mortar waiting for people to come through our door business, um, then yeah, absolutely. I think you know, the, the wealth of tools available to people, uh, thanks to software and cloud architectures uh, should be something that that organizations are, are now accelerate, uh, accelerated in, in, in trying to procure and learn and, and use. Um, it's funny because it's something obviously like we're all digital natives in a way, I would think on this call in the sense that, you know, we've, we've all worked with the web and stuff for a long time. Um, I work it into our company. Like, you know, I'm constantly building web apps that accelerate different functions for my team. Um, and for the way that we work with our uh, cohort of, you know, typically up to 500 people on campus every day. And, uh, and I think that that's also something that hopefully will be adopted uh, by more companies um, at an increasing pace in coming months is, 
this need to develop internal capacities to not only procure third-party softwares, but develop software solutions internally uh, that can help business process. Yeah, I think where, where we've spent a lot of our time over the last couple of years is uh, the technology is, you know, it's a, it's a critical component. And in many cases, it's just table stakes. But the technology in and of itself doesn't solve anything unless you're really thinking about solving for the experience you're trying to create. And experience really should be central to whatever is being thought through. So for example, if the four of us happen to be at Startwell right now, as we had been in the past, but if we happen to be there just having this conversation and one of us wanted to actually just explain a concept, we might just jump up on the whiteboard and start sketching something out. And for the most part, in a, you know, as robust as Zoom has been in, in handling a capacity of the, the world's conversations in the last several weeks, and it's got a whiteboard function, we haven't really found elegant ways of mimicking that type of a thing where, oh, wait, I've got a thought, I'm going to go sketch something out without trying to be too much of a distraction to the rest of the room, then I'm going to walk people through that. Or, uh, you know, just a, a lot of the things that happen in the physical realm in terms of collaborating and sharing. Uh, this idea that I don't know how to actually use this feature in MS project, or I don't know how to do that thing in Jira or Slack. And then you kind of just stand up and you tap your neighbor on the shoulder and ask, hey, can you show me that thing again, right? That's performance support, that's knowledge transfer, that's learning, that's all of the above. But that happened because you tapped somebody on the shoulder. So is there a virtual digital surrogate for that? Is there a way that we can do, without, do that without making it um, you know, feel uh, like an intrusion? Is there a way that we can make it fluid? Like, could I just easily, you know, swipe something on my tablet or on my, my laptop and get into that type of mode? I think thinking about experiences in that way is going to help because if the experience is seamless, then people will use it. And then, um, you know, the collaboration and knowledge transfer will grow. But as long as we're trying to figure out how do I get on Zoom? How do I activate this whiteboard? Are we in a Google sheet? Did you check out my email? Um, you know, uh, I can't get my internet working, all of those sorts of things. And we're, we're kind, of, kind of be stuck in this period. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it comes back to that idea of like companies needing um, a cultural manifesto and an instruction set for what their tech stack is that enables remote work, you know? And uh, that's not something anymore that, I think it's about hybrid work. So. It's also, you've got those three people in a meeting room. How do they communicate with three people who are individually in their own room somewhere else? Um, so it takes a lot of work. It's something we're um, going to be helping people with here at Startwell uh, as a complimentary consulting arm kind of thing of, of membership. Um, and really, I think it's, it's about relating all of the insights from you know, our work in the last three years and, and my work personally for probably 20 years or more uh, working with remote teams on digital projects. And there's a lot of knowledge transfer that should happen. Uh, but because of, I think, uh, cultural gaps and bias, you don't have um, a lot of, let's call it, you know, flesh space companies uh, learning from uh, digital teams, coding teams, software architecture uh, teams, uh, because a lot of that, you know, digital first company culture is driven by uh, collaboration tools that are software based. Uh, so I think we're going to try and bring a lot of that knowledge out and from the open source community as well to look at, you know, how do you work collaboratively in a digital space and still find time 
to see each other and, and hear each other. It's not necessarily like we all need to be stuck in front of a camera to work together uh, and, 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 you know, figuring out what the value sets for the nature of communication is and, and also how to facilitate productivity um, through entirely software uh, is, is going to be a big question for a lot mm. of people. I like that you, you kind of put it as a manifesto uh, because it, there's so many meetings I can think of where there might've been two or three or four people in a room live. And then there's a handful of people that are, you know, dialed in over, over video. Um, I can't believe I just said dialed in over video. That is terrible. Uh, anyhow, uh, you'll see people in video and people in the room and the dynamic in the room is, is, is gelling. People are able to kind of sketch out something or, you know, make off the cuff remarks and it, and it, and you can follow it. But the people who are uh, on video and collaborating remotely, they're missing some of that piece. And so then I think it's incumbent on everyone involved to figure out how do we best make this the, the, the best possible experience for everyone, right? Um, I mean, to, to some degree, if you're not there live, some amount of information in that analog experience is going to be left out. I don't think there's any two ways about it. But how do we close that gap as much as possible? Is there a code of conduct that we can have that like we can't just run off on a whole bunch of inside jokes when we're in the room um, uh, when we're trying to actually solve for this thing while people are remote and so I think little things like that again they change the experience the technology is the same but the experience of actually interacting with it changes as a result absolutely um, so in uh, in closing are there any notes uh, from you individually or as a team on uh, kind of the Yenza 3 approach uh, that you recommend in terms of remote working tools, tips, uh, how you guys are staying uh, in, in touch with each other and engaged with each other and, and at the same time um, continuing to learn? Shweta? Well, I would say before I, I get into that, I really miss feeding on Anuj's and Martin's energies. I, I miss that part of our interaction together because information, knowledge, all this, you still have a way to kind of exchange uh, through digital format, but there's something to be said about the aura and the energy level to get you to that headspace where you're innovating together, you're brainstorming together that I really miss. Um, so that'll be hard to replicate, but otherwise, yeah, we use a multi-channel approach. We, we, we use Google Hangouts, Zoom. We, we use our, um, messaging format. We have Gchat. So, and I think it's like an unsaid rule between the three of us where we try to be as responsive to each other's requests as much as we can be. Yeah. Martin, anything to add? Oh, Anuj, sorry. No, no, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, no, I think in the um, this is this is just the foothills of the change. Uh, I think for the next few years, we're going to be seeing a lot of things going in a lot of directions, and so um, I think our focus is as, as we were out of necessity, we were born as an agile little company, uh, and so we're going to continue to focus on being an agile little company um, because that being. Being small and agile is, is going to be the best way to be for everyone and, and survive for the next uh, little while and thrive. I don't want to make it seem bleak. Like there's going to be lots of opportunity as much as there's going to be challenges. And so the best way to, to be lined up for that stuff is just 
pay attention, stay friendly, be positive, and uh, and uh, go with this flow as it happens. So, but the key to that is keep learning, keep moving, and being agile. Yeah, and I, I would echo what both uh, Martin and Shweta said. I think that we we do our level best to be agile. Uh, we're we're living in a in a beautiful time where the technology is democratized enough that it allows that. And we also have, a, I think, a mutual respect for each other's time and schedules and whatnot. Like, you know, we, uh, especially now, I mean, uh, young kids, older kids, you know, like uh, all of the different responsibilities and whatnot. So uh, I don't think any one of the three of us uh, has a nine to five type scenario at all, right? Like we're working at, uh, at odd hours when we can fit it into the day, given all the other challenges and, and, and things happening in life right now. But we find a way to, to use the channels that we have to communicate. And I think that, that just having that mutual respect is really important. I also agree, like there's, it, we can exchange words and, and bits and bytes and whatnot, but it's really hard to replicate that vibe and that aura. And if we really want to jam out an idea, you know, we can't leave fingerprints all over each other's monitors or like, you know, wipe stuff off a whiteboard and whatnot in quite the same way. So there is something, um, there is something lost there. Uh, on the flip side, it's been great to be able to connect with, you know, clients and, and colleagues and potential partners that uh, scheduling hadn't quite allowed. And now people have, I think, a little bit less of an excuse and are also more, um, they're more well-practiced and comfortable with doing it this way. And so we've had a number of conversations and, and meetings that perhaps we might not have had at this point in time, just as a result of this. And so I think that uh, the challenge will be moving forward. How do we take the best of this and the and the best of the analog world that we just kind of left, bring those two together in a in a meaningful way, and still have build rapport, still be able to share that vibe? Uh, I I know I'm, I, I'm optimistic. I think we're very optimistic about this. This was coming anyways. It's just coming faster. So let's take just take it on now. Excellent. Well, it was a pleasure taking some time to hear. Uh, Yenza's three you know, kind of experience through the last few weeks uh, and, and catching up with you guys. I think, uh, I think we're now at an interesting point here in, um, at the cusp of June 2020 uh, to enter into uh, the second start of the year, hopefully. And, uh, and with it being summer, uh, I'm quite certain that in coming weeks into the next, really, it, by personally, I believe that by July, or mid-July, we'll see a greater, um, shall we say, embrace of proximity in, in uh, pedestrian reality, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. And this is a lot of the topic matter I've been covering on this series through March and April. We did see, um, you know, the closure of many retail-level businesses uh, and small and medium-sized businesses in Canada uh, whose stories have not been shown uh, or told to the media as yet, those realities are going to start unveiling themselves in coming months, uh, going well into 2021. So I think it will be uh, an interesting time this summer for people to be out trying to relearn how to get together um, and, and bring some of the knowledge and the experience and the want for change that, that we've been experiencing, uh, you know, this spring uh, into our work. Uh, and then by winter, when we're all uh, huddled together again, uh, trying to stay warm in Canada, uh, you know, uh, there will certainly be a new reality that I think everyone can, can obviously recognize. Uh, and then, yeah, it's interesting times and I'm glad that we had the opportunity to speak. Well, thank you for, for having us on, Kasim. This is uh, much appreciated and humbling and, and keep doing what you're doing.
Totally. Thank you. Pleasure.